0: Now the question is really, to what extent? For the gatekeepers, financial team, accounts payable team, legal team, auditors, they're going to need some pretty extensive training on what frauds might happen and the processes that they should be executing to try and fight those frauds. What controls are in place? That could be quite a bit and pretty extensive.
1: That was Matt Kelly. This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds, where Matt and I take a weekly deep dive into a compliance or compliance-related topic. This week, it's the COSO 2023 Fraud Risk Management Framework. I know you'll enjoy this episode, and more importantly, I know you'll learn a lot from this podcast. The award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. First, quick message from our sponsor. Matt, we had the long-awaited release from COSO of their new fraud risk framework. In addition to having several of our good friends as contributors to this document,
0: what were some of your initial thoughts in reading the report from COSO? Yeah, so this report, Tom, it came out from COSO and the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, ACFE, this is the second edition of their fraud risk management guidance. They last published it in 2016, their first edition. But I suppose that probably the most interesting thing that they talked about was why this updated guidance is necessary. And it's necessary because the pressures around fraud risk have really changed in the intervening seven years. And Companies really need to up their game on how they handle such a pervasive and insidious and multifaceted threats. How's that for a collection of adjectives? Uh, But when you think about it, we have a lot of external factors, such as the rise of cryptocurrency, which is riddled with fraud and corruption risk. New methods of cyber-based fraud, which really didn't exist, say 2016, 2010s prior to that. Rise of ransomware in particular, which wasn't quite a big thing back then, that it is all over the place now. Uh, You have issues like greenwashing, where a company lies about its ESG performance to get money from investors or other groups. That does count as fraud, even though it's not a direct sort of theft fraud like embezzlement. And we even have, still to this day, a lot of fraud, residual frauds from PPP loans that gushed into the public world back in 2020 and 2021 when Congress authorized trillions of dollars in spending. And a lot of it went to waste, fraud, and abuse. And we see no shortage of the Justice Department cracking down on PPP loans. But that's still fraud. So we have a lot of changes to the fraud risk environment out there. And COSO and ACFE thought it would be good to reacquaint people with these fraud risks and what you could do to fight fraud risk. They talked a lot about the importance of data analytics. They talked a lot about the importance of internal hotlines so people report fraud. Otherwise, you might not ever find it. And they talked a lot about how good fraud risk management actually is a deterrent to fraudsters who will see that they might get caught, Decide side. It's not going to be worth it. I'm going to move on to the next scam I can do, but they're out of your hair. So that's the, the here and the now and the why of this document. And it's certainly worth reading, certainly for fraud specialists, internal control people, and also even ethics and compliance officers, because a lot of what you do is going to be motivated by fraudsters.
1: Matt, in reading the COSO report and your blog post, I had one question I wanted to post. Is the information in the COSA report? You mentioned fraud risk professionals and compliance professionals. How should a company think through fraud training? Should it only be the gatekeepers? Should it be the lawyers? Should it be the accountants? Should it be the compliance professionals? Should it be the fraud risk professionals? Should it be the internal auditors? Or would you suggest a sort of a broader training both to help detect fraud in an organization and prevent it as well. Your last comments seem to indicate that perhaps indicating your fraud risk management strategy would actually help deter or even prevent such conduct from occurring.
0: Well, I would say that different groups need different training, but ultimately, yes, everybody's going to need at least some training. And In particular, I think the Justice Department, regulators, plaintiff lawyers would look quite askance at people or companies that don't train everybody to at least some extent on fraud. Now, the question is really, to what extent? For the gatekeepers, financial team, accounts payable team, legal team, auditors, they're going to need some pretty extensive training on what frauds might happen. And the processes that they should be executing to try and fight those frauds, what controls are in place. That could be quite a bit and pretty extensive. On the other hand, we have to go and think through the basic point that most frauds are not big. They're not huge Enron type of frauds. They're more like somebody who's a mid-level employee who's going to nickel and dime the company they realize they've got a good thing going, they're going to lay low, and they're going to nickel and dime you year after year after year. So most frauds, you, the risk management function, you might not ever catch them by looking for them. You're going to have to depend on somebody else coming to you from the enterprise to say, I think this person over here is doing something sketchy. And that can be the best way for you to root out fraud is to have a strong internal reporting culture. Well, that still means, when you think about how does that manifest as training, you're going to have to train people on the sorts of frauds that the company might worry about, not how to do it. I'm not advocating that we train people on how to commit fraud. But if you are in healthcare, you could certainly train all employees that health care fraud is a big deal. You could get into so much trouble with Medicare and Medicaid and the Justice Department on a false claims act action. So, take fraud very seriously. And when you see a fraud, speak up about it and we will then look into it and we will resolve this as quickly and transparently as we can. Those sort of messages tying back to your compliance and fraud risks and to the company's ethical priorities of we want to be an ethical company that doesn't win by scamming and frauding, Those are the kind of messages that you would want to give to like the first line of defense or the lowest levels on the org chart, because they are going to be invaluable helping the second line and third line of defense and the higher on the org chart. They're going to be invaluable helping you find out where the frauds are happening.
1: So the um, communications or rather, we obviously have the fraud risk or the fraud triangle. And the other thing I sense is that most fraudsters intend to defraud. It's sort of a culmination of events. And as you said, it may be a nickel and dime. You know, it may be Richard Pryor from Superman 4 just picking up pennies from each transaction his bank engaged in. But whatever it may be, it typically lasts a fairly lengthy period of time. And it requires both detection and prevention. So we talked a little bit about the prevention side. What did you see in the framework from the detect side?
0: Well, they talked an awful lot about how you should be evaluating your internal controls, your financial controls, through a fraud risk lens. And what that really means, the internal auditors and SOX compliance officers will love this. Ethics and compliance people who are not trained auditors who came from law school, you're going to have to bear with me here. But I promise this raises a good point is that you might have a financial control to govern financial reporting, and that might work well. That's an ICFR control, and it's part of SOX compliance, but that might not necessarily be enough to fight fraud. An ICFR control isn't necessarily the same as a fraud control. It can help, but it might not go all the way to the fraud risk that you really want to assess and understand. So I'll give you an example of what I mean is that you might have employees who are engaging in round-trip revenue fraud. They close a big sale on the 29th of the month, they hit their bonus number, and then they refund that on the 3rd of the next month, and that is round-trip revenue. You know, they book it, and then they refund it a couple of days later when the next period starts. You could have financial controls that correctly document when the sale was done and when the refund Came through that you had then had to issue. Now, that's a functioning financial control. But if it doesn't necessarily detect that this is happening on the 29th and the 2nd of the month every month for one particular employee, you're not going to detect that there's round trip revenue fraud going on. So you might need an additional anti fraud control on top of the financial reporting control. And that can be done. It's pretty easy. For this, you know, you might use some sort of data analytics program that studies who is inputting what transactions at what time. You could use some sort of management review or something like that. But their point is that you can have a lot of detective controls that might be good for financial reporting, but you're going to still need extra controls for anti-fraud. And as I said, that's really important for internal auditors to think about. It is their job to assess fraud risk. They want to be crystal clear on how they understand a financial reporting control versus an anti-fraud control, which ones can double up to what extent, and then what other sort of additional compensating controls would you need to put in place to fight fraud risk that leads then to a big discussion about data analytics. That's a big theme in the fraud risk guidance they just put out. Uh, And we could go on from there. But it's a good, important thing to understand that just because you have strong financial reporting, that doesn't necessarily mean you have a strong anti-fraud program. You might, but you might not.
1: Matt, you end your blog post with a great line for a new paragraph, which is, fraud is having a moment, and fraud risk is on the forefront of a lot of people's minds from a lot of different areas. How do you see of, or I guess, why is fraud and fraud risk having a moment?
0: Well, I guess maybe it goes back to what I said at the beginning that the external environment for fraud is very fast-moving. You know, it's very loud. Very, there's a lot of ways that employees could be facing or companies could be facing fraud these days. So. We have these statements from various voices telling companies to do better about fraud. We had the chief accountant of the Securities and Exchange Commission, Paul Munter, six months ago or so, last October, he published a statement basically telling audit firms, do better at assessing fraud risk in your clients. Look at their control environment. Look at how they handle allegations of fraud. Then... A couple of weeks ago, we had the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, that's the regulator for audit firms, publishing its list of what it is going to look at when it inspects audit firms this year for excellence in auditing. You know, what's on their radar as big concerns in the audit firm world. Fraud was right up at the top. And now we have this new fraud risk guidance from COSO. So we have a lot of different voices saying fraud risk is here. It's very dangerous. As I said, it's wide-ranging, insidious, and multifaceted. It's all swirling around corporations, and we need to do better at finding ways to assess and understand your fraud risk and then implementing new controls as necessary to push that risk down to acceptable levels. You know, we could talk a lot about I know that they are introducing the idea of the fraud Pentagon now, not just the fraud triangle. Our friend Jonathan Marks, he was, uh, I think, the inventor of the fraud Pentagon, where he talked about arrogance and capability to be able to commit a fraud. That's something that a lot of big CFOs or CEOs engaged in widespread corruption. They're not doing it for the money. They're doing it because they can. They have the expertise and the arrogance, and they think, I'm going to do this. That's a new level of fraud that you know we're trying to get our heads around. As I said, the crypto makes it very easy to exfiltrate your fraud proceedings. We have a higher enforcement risk for fraud. We have wholly new types of fraud like ESG and greenwashing. Nobody talked about that five or 10 years ago. So everybody is aware of it. A lot of voices are leaning on gatekeepers in particular to do better at it. And as they do better at assessing fraud risk, that ultimately is going to filter down to the companies that are faced with gatekeepers looking at them and looking at their fraud controls.
1: Any final thoughts on the usefulness of the COSO fraud risk report for the compliance professional?
0: Well, first off, it's going to be very useful for the audit professional who is your BFF in a large enterprise. But even for the compliance professional, I think it is good to read it and understand some of the more esoteric motivators for fraud. As I said, a lot of frauds committed by senior executives, which are the company busting frauds, they're not doing this for money. They're doing this because they have some rotten core ethical values. And you need to think about that. You think about how to reach people. You need to think about tying your training messages to your core ethical values and how you would reflect that in anti-fraud training. And it's just a good way to get a larger sense of what's going on with risks swirling around corporations these days and how we might fight back against it.
1: Well, Matt, I can't, see, can't wait to see what next week brings us. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. I'm pleased to announce that Compliance Into the Weeds won a 2022 Communicators Award in two categories for the best co-host and for best business podcast. So thanks to all of our listeners who supported us for the Communicator Awards. I hope you will join Matt and I again next week where we take another deep dive into the Compliance Weeds. Finally, if you thought about starting your own podcast, please contact me love to help you either uh help you produce your podcast or put you on the compliance podcast network. This is Tom Fox. The award-winning Compliance into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.